Last week, we talked about the idea of what repent means, okay? Repent means to change your mind. Say, change your mind. Change your mind. So the idea of repentance is to switch the thinking that you have right now to another one, right? To apologize for a sin is not to just simply say, I'm sorry. It's to actually change your thought processes and your mind about something. What's interesting is it's not change your brain. That's not what it is. It doesn't say change your brain. It says change your mind. And they are two distinctive different things, okay? And I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. So if you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 through 24. And this one in particular is in the King James Version, okay? And I stay out of that a lot uh, just because, you know, these and thous and and that was, and I don't know how to say all those. So uh, I, I was one of those that read Shakespeare and like literally read chapter and verse. I read the whole thing and thought, I don't have a clue what just happened. Like, I don't know, right? So if you were there, so I stay out of that. Uh, and it says this, and be renewed in the spirit, say spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So this chapter, this whole section is talking about putting away the old man and putting on the new man, and then it goes on to define what renewed in your spirit looks like, getting rid of the ungodliness in your life, stop all the sinning, stop all the nonsense. Like it defines the action that happens once you become renewed, okay? That there should be fruit from you being renewed, all right? And so what's interesting about this is there's a couple of things in this. Um, there's a Greek word here called pneumati, okay? So put that up there for me. The Greek word pneumati, all right? Can we get that word on there, please? Pneumati, there we go, thank you. And that is the Greek word here, it means spirit, okay? Um, that's the one for spirit, but it's the same word that you use for Holy Spirit or spirit of God, okay? Uh, so this is when it talks about the spirit of the mind, the mind actually has its own spirit. Okay, isn't that interesting? So it has a spirit, the same spirit that is in the Holy Spirit. So your mind is a spirit. Okay, your brain is an organ, but your mind is a spirit. And so those are very important distinctions that we need to keep in balance and understand as we go forward. So your mind has a spirit, and we have a brain, and that brain belongs to earth. So there is an earthly uh, uh, kind of master control center, right, which is your brain. And you have a heavenly master control center, which is your mind, the spirit of your mind in particular, okay? So week one, we learned that um, we are under kingdom authority, that we can live by kingdom authority because we are citizens of heaven, okay? So now we need to learn how to walk that out in daily life. Here's a reality check for us, okay? Here's a reality check. 95% of all statistics are made up, but 95%, so I'm making this one up, but about 95% of your life is unscripted, okay? Maybe some of you are like 99.99%, right? Just whatever comes in the old brain flies out the old mouth, right? And you're just like, what, what? I say it like it is. No, you say it like you want it to be or how you think it is, right? But so some of you might be more or less, so just uh, weight that according to you, okay? Uh, but like 95% of our life is completely unscripted, all right? It's not thought out, and it's not thought through prayer, right? We don't, we don't organize. So we make all these goals and all these plans and all these visions for our future, and we plan things out, and we say we want to go to school for this, and we want to get this job, and I want to marry this husband, right? You know, like, the best way to explain this, like, ladies in here, like, you understand, like, when you were a teenager, you had, like, the list, did you have the list of all like the characteristics that you needed to have in a man? And you're like, all right, he needs to sing opera and he needs to steer a boat. Like he needs to be able to captain a boat, right? But that's the only two things you are very uh, greedy. So that's the only two things you put down and you got neither of those. All right. So, and then the reality is like life, that's not how romance works, right? That's not how romance works. How romance works is you get tired. So you marry someone, right? Oh, some of you are like, that's true. Stop elbowing him. That's not nice. No, I wasn't pointing at any. <laughs> so, no, that's not true. But, but we, we, we have all these ideas of where we're supposed to go. But the reality is, is that 95% of our life is unscripted, right? When you walk through the door and you say hello to someone, you didn't think, oh, you know, I should probably say hello to them, right? Or when you open, when you go to a door and there's a left door and a right door, you don't say, well, let me pray about which door I should, you know, which one I should enter. There's no thought behind it. So there's a lot of things in our life. Does that make sense? Most of the things we do in our life are completely unscripted. And so they come from a place out of the recesses of our heart and out of the recesses of our mind. They're from places where we've developed habits and, and created systems and, and created cultures about our life where we just respond. 
okay, where we just react to things. And they happen without our, our conscious minds uh, knowing about it, right? They, they exist way deep down in the conscious, in the subconscious. And so it's very important that what you put as a foundation under your subconscious, what you put way down under there that determines the unscripted actions of your life has a biblical foundation, okay? And you can find out real quick if somebody subconscious is living for Jesus or not. So it's very easy. Watch them almost get in a wreck and see what comes out of their mouth, right? Right? Like, seriously, right? And all of it, a lot of you are like, oh, that's me, right? You know? Right? You know, for me, it used to be Walmart rage. Like, I go into Walmart and someone would block the aisle with the cart. I've gotten better because I run into you guys at Walmart all the time. Uh, so I walk in and go, don't do it, don't do it. So I'm very purposeful about Walmart experiences now. All right? But I go in there and, and like, for me, it would just be that. It would just come out. And I'm like, oh, man, there's like something under there that just allows that to bubble out of me. And so I really need to watch what I put under. Okay, and so for, for some, so I'm not judging, I'm just saying, um, when I was 17, the way I found out, like, oh, I'm really saved, like I'd been saved about a year and I found out I was really saved, I ran 105 fever, okay? How many of you guys realize that's brain damage, right? But it is not mind damage. Let me distinguish that. My spirit of my mind was intact because when they stuck me in that ice bath at 105 fever and I was completely delirious, I started singing the rubber ducky song instead of cussing. And I, when I recovered and had my clear mind, I'm like, oh, I got to be saved if that's what came out of my mouth, right? Jesus, thank you. <laughs> Either that or I watched way too much Sesame Street when I was a kid. It was my babysitter. I'm just kidding. Uh, I have to say I'm kidding because everyone comes up to him and goes, you're a terrible mother because my mother comes to church. So I have to say I'm just kidding. Um, so everything we do is unscripted, okay? A lot of the things we do is unscripted. So while we make these big plans, we put no thought into the unscripted portions of our lives. And I'm telling you now that that 95% will steer you more than the 5% you plan. Okay, And so it's really important that we start creating a culture in our mind that sets us free from the bondage of unscripted chaos in our life. Oh, that's good right there, okay? So in Romans 12, 2, it says this. Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the will of God is both good acceptable, and perfect, all right? And we are not to be conformed by this world, but rather we're supposed to be transformed by this world, by the, what? Renewing of our mind. So it's important not only that our mind becomes new, but that we continue to renew it, right? So we got to renew it, all right? And so what's interesting about this verse is we're doing a lot of Greek today, okay? And I think it's very important. I'm not trying to get like way over your heads, but it's very important to understand some of the context of these words. So the word here, uh, we have the word metamorpho, metamorpho, okay? And this is the, um, um, the past tense version of metamorpho. But this word in particular is the exact same word that is used in Matthew 17 too, all right? Uh, for the transfiguration of Christ. So Christ is up, uh, and P uh, I think it was Peter and John that walked up on him. I might be wrong on that. But they walked up on him, and he is being transfigured. So he's like changed into his heavenly form. Instead of Jesus' earthly form, he sees him in the heavenly form. And so this word transfigured or transformed is the exact same Greek word that's used here when it says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So it's funny that here's Jesus going through this physical transformation where he's becoming his heavenly self, and then they use the exact same word in Romans to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there is a transforming that can happen by the renewing of your mind. It's the key. Okay, so if some of you are going, I don't know why I keep getting picking up bad habits. I don't know why I can't seem to beat that thing. I don't know why I just keep thinking those thoughts. I don't know why I put them to bed. I kill them. I take them captive, and they keep coming back, and they plague me, and the same sin, and the same struggles, and the same uh, battles I get defeated by every single time because you have not been transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it is actually a thing that happens. Okay, it is a thing that happens. So metamorpho. So in, in The Wizard of Oz, we have this character named the Scarecrow, all right? And when we meet the Scarecrow, he is hanging on a stick, all right? He's basically hanging on his own cross, right? Hanging out in the field, and he's upset 
I don't know why I'm telling you this 80-year-old story. Y'all should know it, but just in case, for the three people that still haven't watched it, all right? But he's upset because he's a bad scarecrow. See, he hangs in the field, and his job is to scare the crows, okay? So he's not doing that. They just sit on him and eat off him, and he can't seem to do it. So this guy is lost all hope. He is hanging around, lost all hope, doesn't know what he's doing. He is completely stuck in life. He's a failure at what he does, and he doesn't have anywhere else to go, all right? So to get unstuck, so some of us are like that. We feel stuck. We feel trapped. We feel like we're stuck holding on for something that's never going to come. So the question would be, how do we get stuck in the first place? So understanding how to get unstuck starts with understanding how you got stuck. Okay, so we need to trace our steps back and understand how it was. So I'm going to give you a couple of things that get you stuck this morning to help you break free of that. Okay, the scarecrow, here's the interesting thing. The scarecrow would have hung on that pole forever. He would have hung on that pole forever because his only goal in life was to scare crows away. And it was the only thing he saw for his purpose. So the scarecrow only had one single purpose in life to scare crows and he sucked at it but he would have stayed there forever because he had no other purpose. So number one for how you get stuck is your vision is too small. Your vision is too small. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down. Number one that gets you stuck, your vision is too small. The scarecrow's vision was too small because here's the thing. Here's how you know if it's too small. It's achievable. If your vision is achievable, it's too small. That'll preach. It just did. He was bit. See, here's what the scarecrow was doing. He was busy trying to be the scary one. He was. He, he got this idea uh, uh, that that if he had brains, he could be more scary, right? That if he just had brains, he could be hopeful and be more scary. Okay. And, and here's the reality of it. He's not the one supposed to be scary. Your vision is what's supposed to be scary because if your vision doesn't scare you, it's too small. Your vision needs to scare you. It needs to be something where you go, God, not me. No way. That's too much. But I'm, okay. So along comes this Dorothy, and she decides to tell him that his vision needs to grow, right? Uh, so your mind is your vision. Your mind creates vision. So he meets this girl named Dorothy, and Dorothy stirs something in the scarecrow, right? But he's not all there yet. So when she shows up, he's hopeless, broken, and sad. And she starts to tell him, there's hope. There's an opportunity for you to be set free, for you to stir up and stir to life. And the scarecrow becomes hopeful, okay? And so it is important who you hang around. Start hanging around people that either are where you want to be or are going where you want to go. Okay, that's what the scarecrow learned that day. Hang out with people that are where you want to be or are going where you want to go, and it will stir you to new vision and new life, and it'll bring you to a place where you can get unstuck. So number two, the reason why we get stuck is you have a poor identity. Number two is you have a poor identity. See, here's the funny thing about the scarecrow. If you watch the movie very carefully... And if you don't believe me, go back through it again. The scarecrow actually didn't receive any brains. He didn't get any smarts added to him whatsoever. Actually, he had them the whole time. He, he actually went through this whole process of thinking he just needed to have more brains when he just had a poor self-image. All right, he faced all these challenges. In fact, Dorothy faced all these challenges. The first one was the road went off in many different directions. Which way do we go? And the scarecrow said, well, boy, I don't know, because I ain't got no brains, but maybe that way. And he's right, okay? And then he, she doesn't know how to get the apples off the tree. Remember the apples, right? And he comes up with the idea and starts chucking apples, starts calling them names, or excuse me, starts calling them names, and they start chucking apples, right? He insults them until they throw apples, and he figures out a way to get the apple, all right? And then, in fact, it goes so far that when the wizard leaves Oz, he puts the scarecrow in charge. This, well, you don't have to have any brains to be a politician, right? So, um, I need a drummer up here. Gosh, Kylie, where are you at when I need you? All right, so that was good. So, uh, so he actually puts him in charge 
Uh, we don't have any politicians in the building, so we're okay. Um, he puts them in charge of Oz. So he becomes uh, the ruler of Oz, okay? And he runs the place, never getting any extra brains, okay? But what it was is what he lacked in brains, he made up for in a spirit that was renewed. His mind understood. And he, you don't need it. So maybe you're, you, have a, 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 you, you don't have a very good self-image of yourself. Maybe you're like a scarecrow this morning and you look at yourself and you say, I don't have what it takes. I'm not capable. I'm not smart enough. People don't like me enough. I'm not charismatic enough. I don't sing well enough. I don't look well enough. Like all, you have all these excuses, this giant umbrella of reasons why you shouldn't. And guess what? You're in great company. There was a guy named Moses and God came to him in a flaming bush and said, I'm sending you. And he's like, oh no, not me. If God shows up in a flaming bush that doesn't burn the bush, I'm going to say whatever he says I'm good with, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like, I, yes, sir. Ye, you know, yes, ma'am, whatever you want. I'll say whatever you want. I don't care, right? I'm going to have some manners. Moses actually challenged him. So Moses had a very poor self-image of his ability to go in and argue on behalf of freeing the Jewish people. So you are in good company. You are with People that set captives free. So if you have a poor self-image this morning, it's okay. You're stuck, but we're going to get you unstuck. Amen? See, the problem is you're not renewed because you're hanging on to old thinking in old places. You need a revelation of your identity in Christ to combat your old thinking and your broken thinking that got you stuck in the first place. That's what you need. A fresh revelation of who you are. Okay? So... Insecurity is what stopped the scarecrow. Insecurity is what kept him hanging there until Dorothy came along and stirred a vision, stirred a hope, stirred a faith that he could become more. So here's what happened to you. You bought the lie that you're not enough. You bought the lie that you are not enough to get where, when, and how God told you to get. You bought the lie that you don't have what it takes to get where God wants you to go. Through him, you are more than enough. If he asks you to do it, he'll give you the strength to get to it. That's how it works. If God wants you to do it, you will go and it will happen regardless of you. Because guess what? It's actually not about you. It's about him. It's about him. So number three, the reason you get stuck is you're not where you belong. Some of you need to hear this this morning. You're not where you belong. You're stuck because you're busy working in somebody else's field, reaping somebody else's harvest in a place that God has not called you to. Some of you need to hear that a couple times, I think. You are in somebody else's field because you are so you feel so inadequate in your own heart and you believe the lie that you are not enough to complete what God has placed in your heart, the vision God has placed in your heart, that you stay in somebody else's field and reap someone else's harvest and then feel worse because you don't understand why you don't fit and why you can't succeed in somebody else's field. Get out of the cornfields you don't belong in. You can't run a kingdom ministry. You're called to because you're paralyzed by fear that you don't have what it takes. You need to get out of the cornfields you weren't called to. But how? Oh, that's great. Hi, Pastor Ren. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, he's right. We should get out of some cornfields, right? Right? Yeah, it's good. What do you do with that? What do you do with it? So how do we get unstuck? How do we move forward and get unstuck? How do we break free from the barriers we've placed on our mind? How do we break free from being stuck in the wrong field, being stuck in the wrong places, being stuck with the wrong thoughts, right? And allowing our brain to win over the spirit of our mind that God has placed inside of us. You're stuck because you're busy working in someone else's field, so let's get out of it. So, so let's learn how to get unstuck. And I think some of the best ways to get unstuck is uh, maybe to take a lesson from some people that aren't stuck. And so in the Bible, there's a group of people uh, that are not, uh, not stuck, Okay, and uh, Jesus referred to him by this um, ancient term that one would refer to to these unstuck, uh, trouble-free people. They're called children. Okay, they're children, right? And children are not stuck, right? Children don't know that they're not supposed to interrupt me while I preach, right? They don't know that when I'm praying for people, they shouldn't come up and just start hugging my leg, right? They just come when they want to come 
because they just believe that I love them and they'll get a hug and they want a hug and they come up for a hug, right? Or they come right up and they go, oh, Pastor Ryan, guess what? I was playing a game the other day and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm in the middle. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, wait. They have no understanding of, of etiquette, okay? And, and what's interesting about that is that God actually doesn't want you to learn etiquette. He wants you to be like a child. Did you know that? He wants you to interrupt him right in the middle of whatever he's doing. Because he's an omnipresent God who's allowed to be interrupted. Amen? Me, not so much. I lose my train of thought. Okay? All right. So last week we learned about the word basilian, okay? Which is the word in the Greek for kingdom. All right? So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And I have it up there on the screen, basilian. I I said it last week, but I wanted to show it to you. Which means royal power, kingship, dominion, or rule. The first definition of that word says this. Not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. So it is the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. Look, guys, I am totally convinced. I might be wrong, but I think that I'm right, okay? But I'm totally convinced that when Jesus or, or uh, the, the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's not actually referring to heaven, okay? He's not actually referring to uh, the place where the, uh, the, the actual location, okay? Uh, because he says, surely this day you'll be with me in paradise. He uses heaven. God uses heaven in other circumstances. But then there's all these phrases where he uses kingdom of heaven versus just saying heaven, right? I wouldn't say like kingdom of United States, right? Or kingdom of Oklahoma, right? Um, so he's using this term kingdom of heaven and not to just say heaven. If you go to heaven, then this, right? You don't need to add the word kingdom for it to make sense that you're talking about heaven, right? If I say, hey, one day when I see you in heaven, oh, well, which heaven? The kingdom of heaven or the other one? Like, I don't, that doesn't make any sense, okay? And so the word kingdom means the rule or authority of heaven. So if I said I come to you representing the state of Oklahoma, I'm coming in its power, right? So there's a difference there. So he's representing the power. So I'm convinced when you see that, that most of the time what he's trying to do is articulate power and authority that comes from heaven. All right? So I want to read that to you in context. So we're uh, right here. I want to show you the scripture. Uh, Jesus and Mark is, uh, uh, he's, he's doing one of those ministry times where the kids just start coming up, right? And um, the, the disciples start to rebuke the kids. Like, get away from him. He's, you know, he's, he's ministering to people. And so it says this, when Jesus saw this, he got angry. He told them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, so so let's look at that through the lens of what I just talked about. The kingdom of God belongs to those that will just come, that will just show up, that have no fear of walking up and asking Jesus to do something, of walking up and just spending time with God. And so the question is, are you like a little child in your relationship with God? Because the kingdom of God belongs to those. So if we look at it through the context of that word, we understand that what he's saying is the authority and rule of heaven, the ability of heaven, the power of heaven belongs to people that come like little children. So there's something we can learn from little children. I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. Whoa. These are the verses that we skip over really quick. We read them and just, right? Because we're like, I don't know what that means. Right? Now I'm not going to go to heaven because I'm too serious, right? I don't play with Play-Doh or Legos. I'm not going to heaven. Okay, that's not what he's saying. Okay, I tell you, whoever does not, let me change the wording here. Whoever does not receive the authority of God, the power of God, like a little child, will never enter into the power of God, will never enter into the authority that heaven has. He's not saying you won't go to paradise like he said to the thief on the cross. He's saying you will never have the authority and power. So the key to getting God stirred up in your life, the power of heaven behind you is to come like a little child. So, great, awesome. So now you guys are going to skip out of service today, right? Walk up to everyone and just walk up and go, hi, and you're going to act more like buddy than, right? Hi. No, okay. So I, okay, so you you know I'm very science-minded. Science is my thing. I like it. Um, So I decided what does a child look like? What do we need to be? If, If I tell you to come to heaven like a little child, perhaps you never, uh, 
found out what it's like to be a child. So there are two medical studies that were done, all right? And number one was on children and adults on memory. And what they found is uh, that the better uh, memory you have, the more imagination you have, the more vision you can have, okay? So uh, the creative side of your brain, your right side of your brain is your creative side, your left side of your brain is your logical side, okay? And so um, your creative brain starts to die and become less active as you age. And so what they found is, is that there's a direct correlation to memories in detail and ability to imagine. So what they found is that kids and younger people were able to recall events with very clear detail. They knew all the details of their story. And the more details they knew, the better they were then able to create uh, a story. So they were able to imagine a story. So for instance, a little kid that has just learned all the details about being an astronaut can now play astronaut and pretend he's in space and float around the house, right? So all these things, right? He just learned about superheroes and just realized that Superman is the best. And so now he's put on a cape. And if he's like me, he dives off the shelf in the laundry room and has a permanent bump on his head because he just knew he was going to fly that day, okay? Um, Right, I imagined that I would fly, and so I tried, and it didn't work out for me, but I had faith as a little child, right? So wrong, wrong person to have faith in. Superman is not my savior. Um, so I didn't know. I was three. Okay, so, but, but I imagined it. So I knew all the details of Superman, so therefore I was better able to create a future image of what I was after. Okay, so what I was doing. So I created an imaginary world. So older people lose the ability to create these imaginary futures for themselves because they have lost the ability to retain detailed information in their brain. All right, so that's what they found. So the more details you're able to muster in your memory gives you uh, unlocking power to imagine a different future to create scenarios in your head for a different future. So if you go, hey, I'm stuck because I just can't problem solve anything. I can't imagine a way out of it. How many times have you said that, right? I can't imagine any way out of this. I can't see any way, right? Maybe you were, words were see. Some people think the imagine term is like some kind of evil thing or something. It's not, and I'll explain that. But uh, I can't see a way out of this, okay? You can't see your future because you're not coming as a little child. So the more details you know, the more you're able to create an imaginary world, okay? And so I'm going to get into why that uh, matters with the kingdom of God just here in a second, okay? So what we need to do, so there's a second study. I'll go over the second study too. So the second study showed that as you age, your brain activity moves from the right side, the creative side, over to the left side, to the logical side. So the more you live life, the more you start to create systems and processes and believe standards. Like if, you know, if, if I jump off the stage, I might hurt my knee, right? Like so you create all these things that you start to understand how the world works and you start to create paths in your mind of how... Right, you know, like when you're young, you're optimistic and hopeful, right? Anybody in here older, look at the young kids and you go, oh, you're just full of like uh, uh, all these dreams and visions and you have no reality of how the world actually works, right? So there's benefits to creating logical minds because we understand the way the world really works. But what happens is, is that we trade our creative ability for our logic ability. And God never wanted us to do that, okay? And it's very important that we get back to the creative ability. And I'll explain. doesn't mean we, we have to not be logical, or not be rational about things. I'm not saying that. But the kingdom of God doesn't operate by the earth's logic. It doesn't. So you only access the kingdom of God's understanding on the right side. Okay? And so I want to get you back here. So some of the ways, so, so how, do we, how do we retain more information? All right, so how do we become believers that can see our future and paint a vision of our future beyond anything we've seen before? I don't know where that came from. Um, Children Church is having fun over there. So how do we create a vision for our future? How do we start praying and manifesting our future? Some of you are stuck because you have no vision of hope. See, the scarecrow only thought about the field he was in. He never had a vision for, the, for running Oz, did he? He never saw himself that, if hey, if I can just conquer this field, then I can mature, and I can get my five-year plan, and I can get my PhD, and then I can rule Oz, and that's my ultimate goal. He had no vision for his future. All right, we need to get a vision for our future. 
it's important that we start getting some details so that we can have the right future. So I'm not asking you to recall the events when you were five years old. What I'm asking you to do is understand the details of who God is. The details of who the, what the Bible says about you and your identity and what you're capable of. So the number one way to secure that is to hear, oh, ready? This is going to be complicated and deep. Ready? Read the Bible. Read the Word. Okay? I'm actually not going to give you anything complicated today. But what I'm going to do is put something underneath you, an understanding underneath why. Okay? So I'm not saying in order to be a good Christian and God not to be mad at you, you need to read the Word more because He is grumpy at you because you are just a bad Christian. Go take that somewhere else, right? Go find Jesus somewhere else. Take that to another church. That is not the reason at all. But when you read the Word, see, the more you read the Word the more details about who God is you learn. And the more details about who God is, the more you start to also understand the details of who you are. Because he's got all these details in there about who you are. Did you know you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Did you know that you're the head and not the tail? You're above and not beneath? Did you know that? Did you know that God saw you before he formed you in the womb? Did you know that? Do you know he knows every hair on your head? See, you learn that stuff when you read the word of God. And so when when the enemy comes and starts to tell you, hey, remember you're worthless, you can't scarecrows, bro, and you're a scarecrow. You can say, I'm above and not beneath. But if you don't know the word of God, you got nothing to stand on. There is no details of who you are to create a future that is not your present. And you'll never get out of the cornfield you're stuck in. So the second way to create a vision and hope for your future is to hear his voice. You read the word, you need to be looking for his voice. You can't just read the word. Well, that was a very nice chapter. That's an interesting story. You need to listen for what God is trying to say to you. Maybe you're mature enough where you hear his voice regularly in conversation. Maybe you do that. Uh, Maybe you're not. But when you read the word, scripture will jump out and grab your heart. It will. You'll read it and you'll go, oh, that's what I needed today. That's God pulling on your heartstrings, trying to tell you that one's for you today. You need this, and I'm giving it to you, okay? So it pulls on your heartstrings. So you need to recognize that and hear his voice. Read the word, hear his voice. You hear his voice, so faith will rise. The word of God says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So when you read the word of God, your faith begins to rise. What is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So where do you see it first? Not in your brain but in the spirit of your mind, in your mind, in your spiritual mind, in the birthplace of future. Faith is seeing what is not yet to come and believing for something not yet to come. If I only had a brain. If you only have a brain, our brains are designed to process information. All they do is process, um, if you touch that flame, it will burn your hand. It doesn't decide if it's good or bad information. Let me give you an example. If you're a parent in here and there is a roaring fire, are you running in to save your kid? Are you worried about whether or not you get burned? So your brain tells you if you go into that fire, there's smoke. It tells you all the information, right? And then your heart, your mind, your spirit makes a determination for whether or not you go in, correct? Right? It doesn't decide right and wrong for you. All it does is process information. So if you only had a brain, if you only had a brain and not the mind of Christ, you'd be stuck forever on a pole. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. Information alone is not enough. We have to tap into the spirit of our minds to find inspiration. We have to be inspired. That's how we work. Information alone is not enough. See, this is why our education uh, system fails so many kids is because they prefer information over inspiration. Okay, and that's the reality, right? You go to history class and you learn about the shot heard around the world and you get to the test and what do they want to know? The month and day it happened, right? 
I don't care at all the month and day that the shot heard around the world happened. I don't care at all when the date happened. I, I want to know why this guy left church and decided to start a war. Like, wh- tell me about that guy and what his inspiration was and what motivated him. Anyone in here ever taken an acting class, right? They don't tell you how to memorize lines. That's not the main thing, right? When an actor goes and they say, okay, I'm going to say these lines, they're not asking, like, how many seconds of film time do you want me to take up with this sentence? You know, do you want me to say it fast or slow so that we can cut down the film's length, right? That's not the question they ask. They ask this, what's my inspiration? What's my motivation, right? Who am I? They're looking for their identity. They're looking for a reason to belong. And let me tell you how that works, okay? There is a lot of information your brain takes in that is good and bad, and it doesn't stir you to action. And let me give you an example here, right? I see a lot of interesting things on illiterate children, right? Anybody heard that there's illiterate children in America? right? I've never asked to start a tutoring program here at church. You know, I've never done that. Never asked anybody to start a tutoring program here. Uh, there's a lot of amputees in the world, right? There's a lot of amputees, right? But we didn't start a ministry to fund amputees, right? We didn't do that. We, we didn't start a ministry for those things. There are a lot of ministries here in the church that we haven't started yet. Doesn't mean they're good or bad things to do, right? It just means that nobody's been inspired to start it, right? We have a lot of ministries here And if I come up to you, (laughs) let me give you a best example. Is there anyone in here that wants to take over cleaning the toilet ministry? Right? Who feels super inspired that that would just stir them to life? Anybody? Okay, Rose is going to be cleaning the toilets. Gotcha. They better smell rosy. Okay. Okay. All right, all I'm saying is nobody's inspired to do that. But we have people every day in this church that when they discover their identities, find out who they are in Christ, all of a sudden they're inspired to do things. And they start something. Uh, 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 Crystal is going to feed the homeless and take care of homeless today. And she cooked them chili and she wants a burner so she can start that. If you are interested in homeless ministry, see Crystal. But I'm so excited to get up here at church and say, our church helped feed this many people and do this many things. Why? Because I started a ministry? No, I wasn't inspired. She was. She discovered who she was, and she went down there and said, I'm going to give this a try. And she's been trying different things to find who she was, and she finally found like that. This brings me to life. She knew there's homeless people, right? All you guys know there's homeless people. You knew that, right? But you're not inspired to do anything, are you? But, but you know, if I beg you up here, and guilt you and convict you, you might go to the homeless outreach. Well, okay, don't be a good Christian. Don't go to the cornfields you don't belong in. We need people to be inspired. We need people to come to life. What the world needs is not for you to do something. They need you to find what your thing is. Get out of other people's cornfield. You have a harvest of your own. You want to help out occasionally? Give your neighbors some tips? Awesome. Jump in it. But if you abandon your own field for somebody else's, you'll be like the scarecrow. Stuck and not very scary. Okay? And the enemy is not afraid of people that are not scary. And there's an enemy out there that needs to be afraid of you. Okay? So that's why our education system fails. Information over inspiration. And that's why we have a problem. So if I only had a brain, I would never be inspired. I would never have the mind of Christ. And I would still be hanging out and paralyzed. That's what would happen. So how do we renew and get inspiration and get a vision for our future? How do we do that? Okay? And I'm going to sum it up very quickly. All right, so what do we have? Number one, read the word. Number two, hear his voice. Number three, this one's the most complicated, guys. I, I just try to put your thought processes on this and just process it the best that you can. If you're watching online, you might want to have your dictionary ready to understand this term that I'm about to tell you. Uh, number three is pray. Everyone gasp with me. <gasps> that was good. I hope that picks up on the recording. I don't know if that will. That was really good. So pray, okay? Wow, revolutionary, right? Once again, I'm not being surfaced today. I'm getting so deep you can't understand it yet, okay? Praying is how you create a vision for your breakthrough. It's how you create a destination for your breakthrough. See, when you pray, you begin to imagine all the things that are possible, okay? I came up here last night, and I'm not going to brag about what I do in secret, but I prayed. That's all I'm going to say. And I walked in this morning, and the lights were all off, and I'm like, where's the worship team? What's going on? Nobody showed up. Is Renee sick? Like, Like, my first thought was panic until my eyes adjusted to the darkness, and I saw the worship team up here praying in the darkness, not practicing, praying. 
And I thought, I didn't even preach yet. But that's the way God works. When I put out that uh, live video this morning, that's the way God works, is he started to stir people's hearts prayer. My wife showed up early and prayed. I stayed late and prayed. Like this place has been covered all night in prayer and basking in prayer. Prayer causes something to happen. When you look at your circumstances and you can't see a way through and you need a vision for your future, when you pray, you start to imagine the possibilities of what if God shows up? What if this God is actually the God that he says he is in the Bible and he starts to show up? I wonder how he's going to do it. I wonder. I'm having a financial situation. I wonder if a check's going to show up in the mail. I wonder if Someone's going to walk up to me and say, hey, the Lord put you on my heart. I wonder if I'm going to get a raise or a promotion. I can't even imagine all the things. I suck at my job, so I wouldn't have thought of that. But now I'm going to get a raise. Like you start to imagine what's possible, and you start to imagine what's impossible. That's what prayer does. Prayer creates imagination. It moves you from the left side to the right side. Because the reason why you can't be logical in prayer is because you already try to solve it yourself most of the time. You already tried to fix it, right? Out of the 95% that flows out of you, right? You spill a Coke on the floor, what do you reach for? A napkin, not a prayer cloth, right? You don't think, oh, Lord, help me with this spill, Jesus. I don't know what I'm going to do. No, you get a napkin because you already know logically how to fix that. Prayer stirs the illogical. It stirs creativity. It stirs up the things inside of you that you can't fathom and see. So it creates vision. It creates something. It stirs faith. Some of you guys don't have any vision for your future because you don't pray about anything. Let me tell you what stops you from praying. Because the enemy does not want you to have vision of hope for a future. So let me tell you what stops praying. Three things that will stop you from praying. I'm going to close real soon. Three things that stop you from praying. One, a lack of faith will stop you from praying. You don't believe that God will actually do what you're asking him to do, so you stop. There's no point. Two, we make every prayer one way. We don't listen to his responses, okay? Prayer is not a Christmas list to God. It is an open line of communication where you are having a conversation with God. It is a back and forth where you say something and you listen to him to answer. That's how it works, Okay? And you have a conversation with him. And you, and you work some stuff out with him when you're frustrated or upset. Prayer is communication. Number three, why people stop praying is they run out of things to say. Just simply, the biggest one, I think, for men of faith, women of faith, is that you run out of stuff to say. Right? You're like, oh, Lord, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Is it beneath or not above? Oh, I don't know. That's all the scripture I know. I don't know what else to say. Lord, just do something. Just do something. Like, yeah. Okay. Go team, right? Because you don't know the word. See, when the word is in you, the more the word is in you, when you face a desperate situation where you need to see your vision and you need to pray for a long extended period of time and you don't have the word in you, you cave, you quit. The more word you have in you, the more you can draw from that to create a vision for your future and pray that future into existence. Some of you don't have a future because you haven't prayed it into existence yet. It's still waiting on you to open your mouth and declare it so you can have it. I'm telling you, that's why you guys are hurting, because you're not praying. Pray. And don't pray, woe is me. Pray what you want. Pray what the Spirit is leading you to pray. Ask God, how do you want me to pray? I'll pray. God, here, here's a reality, and here's what we got to get away from. God is not moved by your articulate words, but you are. Let me say that again. God is not moved by your articulate words. But you are. You know what I'm saying? When, when, you ever been in that moment where you're just like, I don't know what to pray, and you start praying, and a scripture pops out of your mouth, and you're like, oh, that's good. Right? And you're like, yeah. And you start to stir faith in your own heart, and you start like kind of, come on, come on, preach, preach. You know, I start praying to myself, and I'm like, I don't even know how to start praying for this. And I'm like, Lord, just da 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 And then something will pop in my spirit, and I'll say it, and I'll go, oh, that's good right? Same way with preaching. I'll be up here preaching and the Spirit just takes over and I'll say something that's good and I have to stop and say, oh, that's good, right? Because I'm inspired now. So God is not moved by your articulate words, but you are. So the more you know, the more you can pray. The deeper you can pray, the more you understand who he is and who you are. So you need to expand your prayers. And I'm not saying time, okay? I'm not telling you to expand your prayer time. What I'm saying is you need to 
expand the size of your prayers. You need to have bigger prayers. Here's the thing. A lot of times we don't pray big because we think that God will be offended by the audacity of our malice. How dare you believe for 10 quadrillion billion dollars, right? How dare you believe that I'm going to break through and save your whole family, right? How dare you believe that the dead could be raised? Like, there's all, we're so worried that if we pray something that we are offending God by how big our prayers are. Here's a reality check, guys. God is offended by how puny your prayers are, not how big they are. He is never offended by giant, ginormous prayers. He's offended by the puny ones. Because what you are saying is he's not big enough to deal with the big ones, okay? Show me the size of your prayers and I'll show you the size of your God. Show me the size of your prayer, I'll show you the size of God. We gotta remember who he is. See, by reading the word, by reading the word, we learn who he is. We learn who we are and we learn who he is. Let me tell you who he is. He's the same God that caused 105 doves to fall out of the sky and feed the children of Israel when they were in the middle of the desert and only eating manna. 105 million birds fell out of the sky. That's a pretty big God. He's the God who parted a sea until it was dry. He's the God that opens blind eyes. He's the God that gave the ability of a guy to walk on water. And he's the guy that walked, that knocked down walls in Jericho because somebody had the audacity to believe it and walk around them. He's a God who took a slave in the middle of Egypt, a slave sold into slavery and made him the second most powerful man in the world. This is a God who likes to do big things. He does not want to do tiny things. He's looking for somebody to pray big so he can show up and show off. And you need to let him. Pray some God-sized prayers. Some of you need to understand that term, God-sized prayers. When you pray today, I want you to ask yourself something. Are my prayers achievable? Are my prayers achievable? I'm not asking for faith ones. I'm asking this logically. If you are praying and your prayer is very achievable, those are not God-sized prayers. Those are just some, you know, I got some small requests, Lord, right? Because you don't actually believe it'll show up for you. Okay? Who in here has the audacity to ask God for 105 birds to fall from the sky to feed you? Who, like Elijah, has the audacity to ask for fire from heaven to come and burn up the altar? Who has the audacity to ask the heavens to open up and rain down on command? Like Elijah, who has the audacity to call a bear out of the woods because someone's taunting him? Who has the audacity to take his cloak off and instead of trying to walk on his cloak to have dry ground, touch it and watch seas part? Who has the audacity to say, Jesus, if that's you, I'll get out of the boat and walk on water for you? How big are your prayers? What are you believing for? Show him some respect and remember how big he is. Your God is enormous. Your prayers should match the size of your God. Your praise should match the size of your God. Your love and devotion should match the size of your God. And when you do that, the actions of your life should match the size of your God. Or are you going to hang in someone else's field and be scared of everything? I'm scared to go pray for that person. I'm scared to step up and start that ministry. I'm scared to step out and do it because I just don't feel like I have what it takes. Is your God big enough for you to believe that it's scary because it's Him? And if He gives you a vision, and if He gives you a place to go, He'll give you the tools to get where you need to. That's my question. How big are your prayers this morning? What's your vision? You want to renew your mind? Pray without ceasing. I mean pray. I mean pray some crazy, audacious, stupid, ignorant prayers that everyone else will make fun of you for. If you are not praying something that somebody else, even another Christian, will make fun of you for, maybe you need to up your prayer. Okay? So I'm going to be, you ready? I'm going to get made fun of. Are you ready? I believe that this ministry, with a hundred and something people in the room right now, 
going to win a million souls for Jesus. A million. I don't want a thousand. I don't want a thousand because I can do that. I can keep plugging along. Go by the numbers. I'll get there. I want a million. I believe that this church will plant 50 other churches in its life. 50. And we'll help church plants around the world beyond our own church plants. I believe we'll be a multi-sided church, multi-campus church. I believe that we're going to do things. I believe that we're going to start arts programs that are going to be amazing. I believe we're going to start a, a theater program. I believe that we're going to start a music program. And I believe that God's going to give us a building just for that. Because dare to dream what God wants to do. So I've been asking God, Lord, it's 2019, and what kind of stupid, crazy, big prayers do you want me to pray this year? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after them with everything in my heart. I'm going to pray them with everything in my heart. And I'm going to believe and just have the audacity to believe that you will knock down any wall in my way and give it to me. Because it's not about me. It's Him. My prayers aren't for a Lamborghini. They're not for a bigger house. They're for His kingdom to come and His will be done. And when you pray that kind of prayer, guess what happens? Doors start coming open. People start getting out of your way. What looked like it was dead comes to life. Look, I'm no stranger to audacious big prayers. You are sitting in this room, and I'm closing right now, but you are sitting in this room because some people over at a tiny 1,800-square-foot building believed and marched around that building day after day after day for a week, believing that God was going to open the floodgates on our church and provide a new building because we were maxed out in that one, couldn't afford a new one, had nowhere to go, didn't know what building to walk around so we walked around the one we had and said God open up the deal and let me tell you something what happened three times the building this building the deal was dead three times I, they got up from the table walked away and said there's no way to move forward three times three times we came back to the table and the third time the landlord called me and said nope there's no way this is going to happen it was completely dead and we were out of options and we were at a deadline we were going to Sign a new lease on that other building or find another building that month. If something didn't change, we were going to get stuck in that 1,800 square foot building for another year. And I said, God, I believe that you can resurrect the dead. Here's the thing. A lot of you are praying for breakthrough, but you're not praying for resurrection breakthrough. And so I don't care if it's already dead and gone. Pray it back to life. Bring it back to life. It's not done yet. You're sitting in a resurrected church. You're here because the deal got resurrected. I called, I prayed. We prayed. And I called that landlord. I said, we need to work this out. And he says, you know what? Have whatever you want. Just move in. He gave us everything. Everything got handed to us. You saw it. I know that God resurrects dead things because I've seen it. Pray audacious prayers. Pray prayers that scare you.